0: So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning and we just know that you want people to encounter you and Father we pray that you would just breathe on your word this morning, that you would encounter people where they are and encourage us all to take a next step and so we just open ourselves up to you this morning and pray that you would just have your way, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is made up of journeys. It's not just the end that's important, although we totally need to keep in mind where we're headed. But how you get there is a significant process. And, in fact, the Word says that the steps of a good person are ordered by the Lord. Uh, A couple of years ago, Penny and I were in Germany ministering to Steiger missionaries. And because we were already in Europe after our missions time had finished, we decided to embark on a great journey. So we did a bus trip from Rome uh, through Italy up to Venice and then across Europe to Paris, and so we had just an absolutely awesome time, so in Rome we visited the uh, Sistine Chapel and a number of the Colosseum and all these places, went to, went to Venice, uh, when we got to Paris, went to the Louvre and saw the Mona Lisa, how many people have seen the Mona Lisa by the way, yeah, how, how many, how big is it, <laughs> it's, it's only about this by this. It's really, really, really small, one of the most expensive paintings in the world. So I have a picture of my wife standing in front of the, the Mona Lisa, and I'm thinking, oh, she's really beautiful. Good question. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a great journey we had. But the reality is uh, the Bible is full of great journeys, and all of which we can learn from. Uh, Romans 15, 4, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 tell us that, the Old Testament uh, happenings are there for our instruction and our encouragement. And often what you see in the natural in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in the spiritual in the New Testament or in our lives. So this morning I want us to look at the journey that Elijah takes on the day that he's taken up in heaven. So think about this. If you knew that in two days' time you were going to die. You would totally make every moment count. I guarantee that you wouldn't go out and play a game of golf. Takes too long. And Rex, I'm sorry to tell you, I probably wouldn't go fishing. There'd be more important things. You'd, You'd want every moment of those last two days to really, really, really count For eternity. And you would be very deliberate, not wanting to waste a moment. And that was how Elijah approached those days. He spent his last days journeying with his successor Elisha, teaching him and showing him the road and the places that Elisha's future ministry would be built on. It was a journey that looked into the past a past which Elijah had orchestrated to impart to Elisha the graces and the experiences of the places that they were going to visit. Uh, There was no Facebook, no Instagram, no iPhoto album. So if a father or a guardian wanted to teach someone about legacy and heritage, they would take them on a journey and they would show them, the places of significance, and teach them the life lessons and show them the memorials and tell them what God had done in those places. So the journey and the stages that Elijah takes Elisha on are the same stages that we need to walk through if we are going to grow and fulfill our destiny in God. So they're represented by the cities that Elijah and Elisha visit. So we pick this up in 2 Kings chapter uh, 2 and verse 1, and it says this. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elisha said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And that same process, those exact words are repeated as they go from Bethel to Jericho and then from Jericho to Jordan. At each city, Elijah says, stay here, Elisha. And Elisha says, no way. I'm moving on. I'm coming with you. So verse 8, at the Jordan, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, struck the water with it, And the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elijah, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elijah replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses a fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two, and he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and the left, and he crossed over. Wow. That was pretty significant, wasn't it? <laughs> if, if you were there, if you were Elijah, you'd be pretty, pretty pleased that you didn't hang out at Gilgal, but you went on. But the first place that Elijah takes Elisha to is Gilgal. And Gilgal is a place which represents salvation and separation. That was the very first place that the children of Israel came to when they came out of the wilderness into the promised land. When they crossed over the Jordan, it was Gilgal that they came to. It was here that Israel made a covenant with God. The past was left behind. And for us, it represents our starting point in the Christian life when we are born again the challenge for every believer in every church is the challenge that Elijah gave to Elisha. He said, you can remain here. It's a great place. But Elijah said, I'm going on. Now, I don't want to minimize the importance of Gilgal. I don't want to minimize the importance of that first experience when we're born again. I continually go back to there in my mind and I remember what it was like uh, the first time that the Holy Spirit touched me and when I responded and when God came into my life and the change that happened, it was absolutely, absolutely amazing. It was absolutely fantastic. It, it turned my life around, but you can't park there. The challenge for every believer in every church is the challenge that Elijah gave to Elijah. He said, you can remain here. It's a good place. But Elijah said, I'm going on. A lot of churches park here. They might grow numerically, but they have absolutely no impact on their city. Elijah said, you can remain here, but I'm going on. And Elijah said, I'm going with you. So the next place they go to is Bethel, which speaks of discipleship and encounter. Bethel. The house of God speaks of discipleship and personal transformation. It's the place, if you remember, where Jacob, the trickster, when he's running away from his um, brother who he thought was going to kill him, lays his head down on a stone and he sees the heavens open. He sees the angels ascending and descending. It's the place where Jacob encountered God's presence and God's promises and God's commitment to him. It's where God says, I'll be with you. And it's where God looks past Jacob's present problems in favor of what Jacob could become if Jacob partnered with him. It was the start of Jacob's training. It was the start of his discipleship, which finally culminated many years later in blessing and a change in Jacob's character to the point that his name is changed from Jacob, meaning trickster, to Israel, which means the father of a nation. Every one of us need to go on from Gilgal to Bethel. We need to grow up. We need to be changed. We will never fulfill God's plans for our lives without being discipled, and without changing, and without growing. In fact, in 2 Peter 1 verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Wow, that's a lot of adding on. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you can have in your life faith and goodness and self-control and perseverance and godliness and kindness and love. You can have all those things, but unless they are growing in your life, you can become ineffective and unproductive. Uh, There's another really great verse that I put in this morning when I was just praying about this message, and it's 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. In other words, we're all workmen, and one of our key tools is the word of God. And we need to know how to use the word of God. And that doesn't come with just a cursory reading of it. I I might have been through the Bible probably from cover to cover, 30, 40, might have even been 50 times, but it's the study of the Word of God that opens up the truth of the Word of God, and a great place to grow are the small groups in church. But even apart from that, if you've been in this church for two years, you should be able to pass on the word and the truth that you've received. Amen? Uh, The Apostle Paul says, The things that I have learnt from the Lord, I also pass on to you. And we're on the pass it on business. It's never God pour out your blessing on me. Just for my sake, it's never, Lord, open up your word of truth for me and my sake. It's always, God, bless me so that I can be a blessing. It's always, open up the word of truth for me so that I can pass on that truth to somebody else. And by the way, um, Bonnie did a great job for me uh, the other day. She's copied uh, 10 USBs, which are at the info desk which contain all of the sermons that I've preached over the last 28 years. So I'm a manuscript preacher. So basically what that means is that my sermons are pretty much in full. And so if you're a home group leader, or if you're a person who's in the pass it on business, you can take uh, one of those USBs, plug it in, and you'll have every sermon that I've preached. So make yourself, avail yourself of that. And if there are more than 10 who want those, Just put your name down at the desk and we'll make a whole pile of copies uh, and we'll ring you up when they're they're in there. But take advantage of that. Take those messages and pass them on. Pass them on. Pass them on. Because in doing so, you will grow. I always find that when I preach a message and when I'm pointing my finger at you guys, when I'm racking you up, when I'm encouraging you, you find... When I'm pointing the finger at you, there are three fingers pointing back at me. And the Lord is always challenging me on the words that I preach. In fact, just as there is a reward for teachers, there is also a judgment for teachers of the word as well. So get involved. Grow. Grow. Grow, but we can't park here. There's so much more. The journey doesn't stop at this point. Every stage, there is the enticement to stop, but like Elisha, we need to say, "I'm going on. I'm going on. I'm not going to just settle. I'm going on." The third place that they visit is Jericho, and it's really interesting that Elijah is very deliberate in the places that he he takes and the order that he takes them on because. When you go from Gilgal, the closest place to Gilgal is actually Jericho, if you have a look on a map. But he takes them to Bethel first, then back to Jericho. So Jericho represents the supernatural church. It's at Jericho that God speaks to Joshua and the people. He says, you have to learn. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by your intellect that these walls are going to come down, but it's by my spirit. I'm going to show you how to have spiritual authority and spiritual victory, and how a city that is shut up to you will literally fall down at your feet. And its walls of objection and its walls of opposition will literally become your stepping stones to inheritance. But it's by my spirit. Joshua, be quiet. Just be obedient to what I tell you. Walk around these walls and trust me and I will bring them down. Jericho is where God did the impossible. The strongest fortress of them all in the promised land was no match for the spirit of God. And we need to be a people who learn to trust God and rely on his supernatural ability to break down walls in our life and in our city. I love the supernatural life and the Spirit. But every day we need to have that cry of, come Holy Spirit, have your way. Every day we never need, we should never be satisfied with the level of the supernatural in our lives. We need to be challenged by the fact that we can remain here and not go on. At every place we can remain, but God wants us to grow. I need to emphasize that we don't exchange one place for another. We add to salvation, discipleship, and to discipleship we add the supernatural lifestyle. They are building blocks, one layer upon another. The fourth place that uh, these guys go to is the Jordan. And the Jordan represents commissioning. It's the apostolic church with the mission of empowering. When they cross the Jordan, Elijah has stayed with Elijah all the way. All of those experiences were, were about heritage and legacy, but also the journey was about inheritance. So they didn't settle in Gilgal or Bethel or Jericho, and so Elijah asks Elijah, what can I do for you before I'm taken? And Elijah says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, a number of commentators... Number of people immediately think that a double portion of the spirit means twice as much as what Elijah had, but that's not true. Uh, the double portion was the inheritance of the firstborn, so when a dad was going to die, he would divide up the inheritance between all his kids, but the firstborn always got twice the amount that the other kids. So when Elisha is asking for a double portion, what Elisha was saying was, I want the inheritance of the firstborn. I want to be the one who takes over from you. I want to walk in the things that you have been doing and carry on your works. I want to be your heir. And Elijah replies, So Hey, it's difficult, but if you can see me taken, it's yours. If Elisha had remained at Gilgal, Bethel, or Jericho, no matter how good those places were, he would have missed out. Elijah, as we've read, sees Elijah taken up into heaven, and Elijah's cloak, which was the symbol of his authority, is left behind. And Elisha picks up the mantle, He recrosses the Jordan, and he basically says, okay, where's the God of Elijah? And he's testing this thing out. He wants to know, he wants to see that he's got everything. And so when he hits the water, it parts. And I bet you he he had a big sigh of relief at at that moment. But basically he knew that he knew that he knew that he had inherited the blessings of the firstborn for us. That commissioning hasn't come from Elijah. It's come from Jesus. Because Jesus says to us, great, greater works. He says, the works that I do, you shall do also. In fact, greater works than these shall you do. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yeah. And didn't he say, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth therefore you go out so we are the ones who have been commissioned we are the ones who have received that uh, firstborn double portion inheritance we are the ones that Jesus said hey you're going to do even greater things than what I do and I know that's mind-boggling but that is what happens in the spirit so the Jordan was a place of commissioning where we receive empowerment to do what God has called us to do. But Jesus always asks, what do you want to do? Because there are people out there and there are cities out there that need to be changed, that need to be healing. So Elijah crosses the Jordan. And the first thing he does is he goes back to Jericho. Jericho is a cursed city. But Elijah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, totally changes its future. 2 Kings 2 verse 19, it says this. It says, the people of the city said to Elijah, look, our Lord, this town is well situated. It's really interesting that the people of the city didn't come out to Elijah and Elijah when they were there. They came out to Elisha, interesting, look our Lord, this town is well situated as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive, bring me a new bowl, he said, and put salt in it, so they brought it to him, and then he went out to the spring and threw the salt into it, saying, this is what the Lord says, I have healed this water, never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word elijah had spoken it's really really important that we open our eyes to see the opportunities that the commissioning affords us we aren't commissioned to expend our calling and our gifts on ourselves but we've been commissioned to bless and reach and heal our city and touch our world i mean many people would come to whangarei and say hey this place is well situated it's beautifully situated but man, it's got a lot of problems. But the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want to heal the water of the city. I want to make changes. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to take the bowl of the church and I'm going to fill it with the salt of God's people. And I'm going to take them and I'm going to spread them out and I'm going to heal the waters of the city. We are the salt that Jesus puts into this bowl, and throws it in polluted waters. Our city, the church is like the bowl, identifying and carrying its people to the very source of the problem before releasing its people to bring healing and wholeness. So I'm just so thrilled that there are so many of you out there changing our city, because a church that does not go out and change the city is like an army that recruits and trains and empowers its soldiers only for the task of recruiting. No, an army recruits and trains and empowers its soldiers so it can deploy its soldiers into the battle uh, to bring breakthrough and freedom from the enemy. They recruit and train and empower and deploy for battle and transformation. That's why a number of years ago we ran chaplaincy courses, and I know there was about eight of us. Uh, here that trained in that, and have gone out into the city and uh, just minister. I know there are nurses making a difference. There are doctors making a difference in our city. There are shopkeepers making a difference. There are neighbors that are making a difference. I love hearing of Christians being christ out in the community because God opens up doors of influence to everyone who will say, I'm not staying here. I want to be deployed. And that means you've got to mix with the unsaved. You've got to have a heart to show them that Jesus Christ in you is greater than the spirit of the world. You've got to be able to show them that we are different. That in hardship, we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rely on. That his peace passes all of our understanding, keeps our hearts and our mind. Through him, we can do anything. Through him, we can survive anything. People around about us are looking to see how we, as Christians, are going to respond to the things of life. The question is, How can we bring love, acceptance and forgiveness to the people of Whangarei? The question is, can your school be changed? Can your workplace be changed? Can our city be changed? And I think the answer is yes. Totally. We wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe that we could see significant change in our city. It's interesting that in 2000, Mark, Malcolm Gadwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point. Has anyone read that? No, really interesting, interesting book. Okay, and it's about how little things can make a big difference. The Tipping Point is that magical moment when an idea, a trend, or a social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and spreads like wildfire. Most people would think that the tipping point in any situation is probably 50 to 55%, but not so. Uh, a sick, single sick person can start an epidemic. Isn't that right? Yeah. We've seen it. A small but precisely targeted push can cause a fashion trend, can cause the popularity of a new product, or a drop in the crime rate. Uh, we've seen this in New Zealand, for instance, as the homosexual lobby, which is very small, has changed the way mainstream society thinks. The U.S. military commissioned one of the greatest studies that's ever been undertaken on tipping points. They commissioned this in the wake of Cyclone Katrina. They were amazed that most people totally disregarded the warnings to evacuate and they wanted to know at what point the ideas of a few became the beliefs of the majority. And we could bring this up to date and we could apply it to a lot of situations that we've seen, especially in American politics over the last uh, few years. They found that the tipping point wasn't 51%. It was about 9 to 11%. In other words, they said, and I quote, when just 10% of a population holds an unshakable belief Their belief will always be adopted by the majority of society, and once the numbers grow above 10%, the idea spreads like a flame. Transformation can take place with just a small number of people. Jesus used exactly the same principles. First, he gathered and saved a handful of people. He discipled them. He empowered them with his Holy Spirit. And then he commissioned them and sent them out to change the world. We have been saved, discipled, empowered, and commissioned for such a time as this. We just need to be deployed into the polluted parts of our city to bring God's kingdom influence and transformation How will people of our city ask us to help them? Only as we go out and love and serve them. The question is, what place are you at and what do you want? The challenge this morning is to see that we have a propensity to park at one place without going on. And I'm trusting this morning that the Holy Spirit will be speaking to people and giving you a nudge and saying, hey, you can take another step. You can grow. And I suppose... If we have the thought that we can grow, the question is how are we going to do that? Because it's not just going to happen. I think it was Ford who said a vision without action It's just an illusion.